Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. And let us consider five more verses in this chapter. Part of the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. Let me read to you verses 38 through 42. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. There have never been words uttered on earth even close to these. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Amen and amen. amen. This is the true religion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope that I can explain it to you this morning, that it will have a lasting effect on your lives. I cannot change your heart, but I can certainly supply your ears with some things that I hope your mind will understand, and I'll trust the Lord to change your heart. He changed mine, and I'm trusting Him to yet change mine, and unite my heart to fear His name, as we read this morning in Psalm 86 and verse 11. Let's first of all remind ourselves about this sermon. You have three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They're all in the red writing if you have a red letter edition Bible, meaning that it's a continuous sermon for Jesus Christ. Now, the nation of Israel had some religion. The nation of Israel did have some religion. They had a temple. They had synagogues. They had Pharisees, the most conservative denomination, Sadducees, a liberal denomination. They had scribes that worked all the time copying Scripture. They had lawyers that interpreted Scripture. Oh, they had religion. But they didn't have truth. Even though it was God's nation, God's people, He had given them the Old Testament, but they had corrupted it, as man will always do, unless he sticks to the Word of God only. They had begun to worship their education. They had begun to worship the traditions that they picked up in Babylon when they were there by captivity for 70 years. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came along and is correcting everything that is going down for popular religion, acceptable religion, in God's nation. This is not a sermon against Egyptians. This is not a sermon against Philistines, Aborigines, or American Indians, all of which we know can't take all their truth combined and find a drop of water. These were God's people. God's people. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he stood up, all he had to say was, everything you're hearing is wrong. Here is the truth of the matter. It started in verse 21 of this chapter, when he took the commandment, thou shalt not kill. The Pharisees, 
the conservative denomination of the Jews' religion, had taught, thou shalt not kill means don't murder anyone. And so as long as you had not rammed a butcher knife through someone's breastbone and then twisted it and disemboweled them, you were free. You were innocent. You had kept the sixth commandment. But Jesus came along and said, if you even have anger in your heart against your brother or your neighbor that is not justified, you have broken the sixth commandment. Jesus came along and said, if you call anybody worthless and it's not justified, you have broken the sixth commandment. Jesus said, if you call somebody a fool and it's not justified and I determine when it's justified, you have broken the sixth commandment. What a different religion. The Pharisees had, had contracted that commandment, thou shalt not kill, all the way down to actually taking a person's life. Jesus expanded it all the way out and said, if you've got within your heart the basis for murder, right. anger without a cause is the basis for murder, you're guilty of the sixth commandment. Then he came to this commandment in verses 27 through 32. That's adultery. He said, you have heard. Look, look at it with me. I want you to understand. I want you to learn. We're here not for me to entertain you with pleasant sounds because you came to the wrong place. I'm able to do it. I don't know how to do it, and I won't. So you've got a lot of problems with But I will try to teach you the Bible. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Look at how it's worded. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Matthew 5, 21. Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. See, the words thou shalt not kill are in the Bible. Jesus did not say, you have read, thou shalt not kill, and I want to change the meaning. No, he said, you have heard it preached, thou shalt not kill, and the preaching you have heard about it has been too narrow. I'm going to expand it back out to where it belongs. Each time, each lesson we come to in Matthew 5, we have the same words. Look at verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Do you know what Jesus, who was a Jew, was saying? All your preachers are wrong. And he's not speaking to the wrong Greeks who never had any light on any subject. He's speaking to the Jews, his own people. Your preachers are wrong. You have heard. What you have heard in the synagogues and in the temple is not right. You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those men that preach to you, they tell you, as long as you have not snuck out of your house and gone and crawled into another woman's bed and had all the intimate pleasures with her, you have not broken the seventh commandment. But Jesus said... If you have looked on a woman and wanted to do that, you've already broken the seventh commandment. Jesus said, if you use divorce to get rid of one woman you don't like, to get your hands on a woman that you do like, you have broken the seventh commandment. Wow! What religion! And they hated him for it. And do you know who crucified him on the cross? Those other preachers. They could not stand a man preaching the truth. He was in the minority, they were in the majority. He was true, and they were in error. And it's always been that way. Poor Noah, the father of righteousness, and how many were in the ark with him? There was a total of eight, and seven of them were unbelievers. 
in comparison to Noah. Right. It's always been that way. Right. And so Lord Jesus Christ comes along and says, your preachers are wrong about adultery. And he sets the record straight. He's, the Pharisees had a standard of righteousness this high. Jesus Christ just raises the bar so much higher. It's easy to keep the seventh commandment not to commit adultery if all you're thinking about is actually getting into bed with someone else. But to watch it on television, which is to put it before your eyes, to think about it and to delight in it, to wish you could do it, to, to use divorce laws to get a second spouse, Jesus said that's all adultery. Right. Let's keep going, because I'm not even supposed to be teaching this this morning. I just want to remind you about Matthew 5. Look at verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself. Now, those words are in the Old Testament, but Jesus didn't say it is written in the Old Testament. Because what he's correcting is not the Bible. He's correcting the false preaching of the Bible. You have heard it preached and explained in your pulpits that you can swear any old way you want to. And, and, you know, it goes on to explain here in another... They were swearing by their head. And we went over that last Sunday, and we do it, don't we? It slips out, doesn't it? We say, my lands. You don't own any lands, poor fellow. You say, my goodness. You ain't got any goodness. Right. We are swearing all the time in America with flying things out of our lips that we don't think about. Gow, golly, gee whiz, Jiminy, Christmas. All of those are euphemisms for taking God's name in vain. We are a people polluted with filthy lips. And Jesus condemned the light, the lightness of our speech and things fly out of our mouths. Goodness gracious. Who are you talking about? Elton John? Who are you talking about? Goodness gracious. Those are attributes of God alone. You don't have any of either. In comparison to him, and neither do I. That was those verses. They had taken the commandment about swearing and abused it. They were swearing by gold. Now that, that reminds you of why Jews are a byword and a proverb in the earth today. Always been a byword and a proverb in the earth. And God said they would be a byword and a proverb in the earth. And I don't care about the Anti-Defamation League. Right. I'm just going to preach the Bible no matter what it says. I believe it. God, God prophesied about his own people. They would be a byword and a problem because they're grubbers. That's why they would swear by the gold of the temple. Matthew chapter 23. Jesus couldn't believe it. They would say if a man swears by the temple and he doesn't keep his oath, he's free. But baby, if he swears by the gold of the temple, he better keep that oath because now he's sworn by something important. Money. Gold. Incredible. That was last Sunday. Now we come to verse 38, and look at what it says again in these words. Ye have heard that it hath been said. Your preachers have taught you an application of these words. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Where did those words come from? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Were they invented by the Jews? Were they found in Babylon? They're in the law of God. Let's go back and look at them. Exodus chapter 22. Let's go back and look at them. Exodus chapter 22. Now, Jesus is not going to correct what is written in the Old Testament. Jesus is going to correct the false interpretation of what was written in the Old Testament. The false application of it. 
And we want to get it straight this morning and apply it to our own lives. I'm not a Jew hater. I love every true Jew. And the true Jews are defined very clearly in the Bible. They're God's elect. They're the ones he has saved because they're his people. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 says, He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. If a man can prove by a birth certificate or a particular part of his body missing, that does not prove he's a Jew. Romans 2, 28. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, where circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praises of God and not of men. Those other people that call themselves Jews are not really Jews in the sight of God. They're the most anti-Christian group of people on earth. Go try to talk to them about Jesus Christ and see where they'll want to put you. Enough about that. Jews and Gentiles of both sorts that Jesus Christ has saved are the true Israel of God and the true Jews according to the Bible. Listen, my ancestors were a whole lot more depraved and in ignorance than the Jews' ancestors. Because we were Gentiles. We didn't even know anything about the true God that created the heavens and the earth in six days. Exodus chapter 22. I'm just going to read a few verses. We're going to begin... Let's go to chapter 21, Exodus 21. There's three chapters here, 21, 22, and 23, that all have Old Testament restitution taught. But it's chapter 21 that I want because it gives us the precise words. Verse 22 of Exodus 21. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. This is the law of retribution or retaliation. It's a wonderful, wonderful principle. This is God saying that in this particular case, it's a woman that's pregnant. Two men are fighting. The woman that's pregnant tries to intervene and help her husband. While they're fighting, the other man bounces her around, jostles her, and she goes into premature labor and gives birth. Her fruit from her. Here's here's a little passage that abortionists don't like. You know, this is by accident. And God still said, life for life. If the child died, so did the man. If the child broken arm, so did the man. If anything happened to the woman, it was done to the man as well. This is the Lord. Exodus chapter 21. Now it's the law of retribution. It's the law of like for like. I think it's wonderful. When I read about teenage hoodlums that have listened to a little too much rap music and they go into some baseball bat and beat up some old woman to take her purse so that they can have one more crack trip. When I read that, See, my mind, I'm very simple. There's a simple way to handle that. Put it on pay-per-view television and let two NFL players have baseball bats and start at their feet and work up their body on pay-per-view television. It would be great for a kindergarten class. I'll tell you something. 
But if that was done in America the way that God had taught it to be done in the Old Testament, we'd have an end to our crime problem. What happens instead? Those hoodlums get to go to a day camp and a night camp where they get the, where they get three square meals a day for the first time in their lives. First time ever. They get to have recreation and play ball. Our is sick. We don't need prisons. We need baseball bats for men that do that. Right. And see, the word of God is wound for wound. If you want to go out and wound someone else, then that wound ought to be given to you. That would slow people down from taking advantage of others. And I don't care what any psychotherapist, psychologist, or sociologist say that such punishment does not deter crime. All the evidence speaks to the contrary, and this is the Word of God anyway. It will deter crime. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 24. I hope you saw the words there, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that that actually came from the Old Testament. So what is Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 5? I wanted you to see that. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 17. And he that killeth any man shall surely be put to death. And he that killeth a beast shall make it good, beast for beast. And if a man cause a blemish in his neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. And he that killeth a beast, he shall restore it. And he that killeth a man, he shall be put to death. Ye shall have one manner of law, as well for the stranger, as for one of your own country. For I am the Lord your God. Simple. Simple. If you cause a blemish in your neighbor, that blemish should be caused to you. You say, well, our nation's a whole lot more merciful than that. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Keep, keep expounding it. Keep telling me the wisdom that is between your ears. Let it flow out of your mouth and tell me about how much mercy has done for us. All it's done for us is that events like Columbine High School happen, and it's because no one has seen a real retribution for evil like that. If this was done, you wouldn't have to do it very often. I wish this would have been done when I was a young boy because I would have been a different kind of a teenager. There would have been some fear in my life instead of total arrogance and foolishness. I hope you see an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's in the Word of God. Let's go to Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19. Oh, the law of God is so simple. You don't have to go to Columbia Law School to figure out how to end crime. You can end crime by reading Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. Right. And you know how much money we could save without prisons? Listen, I'll buy the baseball bats. Now, that baseball bats aren't for shoplifters. Baseball bats are for somebody beating up an old woman. You know, every time you read that in the paper, what does it do to your insides? I hope they go very slowly up his legs. You know, what do you, what do you do when you catch a shoplifter in the Bible? Do you put him in prison? What a waste of my money. What a waste of your money. When you catch a shoplifter, all he's got to do is restore it fourfold. Wouldn't that be great? Whatever you stole, you've got to pay it back four times. And if you can't pay it right now in cash, you're sold into slavery. See, there's no prison. It's wonderful. It's the law of God. It's a whole subject to itself. 
Deuteronomy chapter 19. Let's start at verse 16. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is for somebody perjuring themselves in court. If you perjure yourself in court, whatever the penalty was going to be exacted on the man that you, for whom you perjured yourself in court, that very penalty was going to be applied to you, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So we see it taught in the Old Testament. And listen, if this happened, men would have a tendency to tell the truth more in church. I mean, tell in court. They would have the tendency to tell the truth more, just like the text says here, that if we were to do things this way, verse 20, those which remain, the ones still alive, shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. It works. It works. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 and find out what Jesus Christ was trying to say when he said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We've just seen this three times in the Old Testament. So it's definitely a principle from God. But why is Jesus going to correct it? How is he going to correct it? Matthew 5, 38, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Here's what was happening in Israel. The Pharisees were taking a little expression, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and applying it incorrectly by two ways. First, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a civil ordinance. It was what the government was supposed to do. It was what the nation was supposed to do. It was what the courts were supposed to do. Because if you paid attention to our reading, it mentioned the judges. This was a judgment imposed by the civil authority of the nation of Israel upon its citizens. The Pharisees had taken it as a cute little saying to justify their personal retaliation against anyone that did anything wrong to them. If someone did something wrong to them, they said, hey, I've got an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. As long as I don't do more to them than what they did to me, I'm keeping the law of God. As long as I do to them what they did to me, then I'm a righteous man. Because I have the saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The, the cases that we just read are life and blemished bodies. We're talking about very serious matters. And as the context is going to show us here, the Pharisees had applied it to very light matters. So there's their two errors. They had taken an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and taken it from the civil authority and applied it to their own personal lives and relationships. And then the, the Lord had given that commandment for very serious matters and they were applying it to little things that we do to offend each other every day. 
So that's why we have the next verse beginning with the word but. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Your preachers in this nation have taught that you can treat each other with retaliation and revenge as long as you don't exceed what they did to you. And they have used an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that way. But I say unto you, but I say unto you that you resist not evil. <coughs> but I say unto you, I don't care what the ministerial fellowship of all the preachers of Israel has to say. I don't care what all the seminary graduates think on the matter. I don't care what all the doctors of theology have to say in all of Israel. I say unto you that they are heretics and they do not know how to apply the law of God. And as he said in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, if your righteousness doesn't exceed their righteousness, you will never get near heaven. If you go through life thinking the way they preach, you will never get near heaven. So what is Jesus correcting? Jesus is saying that provision in the law of Moses was for the civil government to punish criminals. It was not for you in your relationships to your neighbors, to your brothers, to your spouse, to your children, to your parents. You never do back to what someone does to you. That is not the religion of Christianity. That is the religion of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning when Cain killed Abel. So verse 39, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Wow. Don't resist evil? Does that mean I shouldn't resist evil in my own heart? I should just let it go? Does it mean that I shouldn't resist evil in my children? Does it mean the government shouldn't resist evil among its citizens? Does it mean a pastor shouldn't preach against evil from the pulpit? Obviously, these words are to be taken in a very contracted and small and limited sense. Resist not evil. You know what people do when they make an error in interpreting the Bible? When they taking so long to preach the passage, they end up being conscientious objectors and pacifists because they don't know how to, they don't know how to understand the Bible. Right. They jump into this passage. Resist not evil. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mennonites, the Quakers, the Seventh-day Adventists, and others, and they won't enter into conflict to defend our own nation. Because they miss the interpretation. When Jesus said, resist not evil, he's talking about what civil government can or cannot do. That's taught in other places. He's saying what you can or cannot do in your relationship with others. And he says, don't resist evil, but he explains what kind of evil he's talking about when somebody smacks you on a cheek. He doesn't say when somebody comes in to rape your wife. He doesn't say when some nation bombs Pearl Harbor. He says when somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other. What he's doing is taking those words that had been abused by the Pharisees and were being applied to personal relationships and saying those words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, not apply to personal relationships. They're a property of the civil government. What applies to you is don't resist evil. Don't fight back. But when somebody smacks you on one cheek, turn to them the other. What's the big deal? This is the religion of Jesus Christ. I preach His pure doctrine this morning. I am nothing. I am nothing, but I am His faithful servant. And I will tell you what He means. And He means when somebody hurts your feelings 
Because when you're slapped in the cheek, does it leave a blemish in your body? Or does it wound something else that's a lot deeper? It wounds your pride. Oh, my pride gets bigger than my body when you slap my cheek. When you make fun of me or say something sarcastic to me or offend me, my pride is huge by nature. Do you know how long it takes me to want to fight back? It can't be measured in time because it doesn't take any time. My face is flushed in one second. My heart is raging in one second. My fists are ready to not... Listen, all of you look at me like you've got Judas Iscariot for a pastor. Don't you all know what I'm talking about? I'll start calling you names in front of everybody and see if I get a rise out of you. Doesn't it happen fast? It happens fast. When we're smacked in the cheek, what does it really cost us? Some pride. Some pride. You know what the Lord Jesus said from the other cheek? What is the big deal? I do not believe. He did believe in cheek for cheek. When they hit the left, give them the right. When they hit the right, give them the left. But you never get to hit back. See, the Pharisees had gone through the Old Testament looking for something to excuse the pride that would justify them when they were treated a certain way that they could do that back to you. They limited themselves because they were very righteous men. They wouldn't do more than what you did to them because it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Not a life for an eye or an eye for a tooth. Are you with me? They took that commandment and twisted it all around to justify their retaliation when someone hurts their feelings. I'm going to tell you something about the religion of Jesus Christ. What I just, what I just said to you, what I'm about to say further about, you're going to get to practice it every day of your life. Your spouse is going to say something that hurts your feelings. What are you going to do? Bite back? You know what you show when you bite back? You've got the devil in your heart. You know what? When your spouse says something that hurts your feelings and you don't bite back, you show a power that the world doesn't know about. It's the power of mercy and grace, forgiveness and forbearance that the Lord Jesus Christ taught in his religion. And it is very hard to do. This is what ought to govern all of our conversations, all of our relationships, because I promise you a fact of life. We are always going to offend each other in different little ways. It's, it's because we're all different. We're all selfish by nature. And so no matter how hard we try, we're going to hurt each other's feelings. And there's a response that we're supposed to have. Give him the other cheek. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. This evil he's saying don't resist to the small personal offenses that occur between men. It is not the evil between nations. It is not the evil of criminals. It's not the evil of children. It's not the evil of false doctrine. Because all those things we're to resist with all our might. This is where they get the words non-resistance. This is where they get them. So they won't go to war. This non-resistance is between us. Were you by my email that I wrote you? Back? You sure? You sure? Good. I worried about it when I sent it. I worry about a lot of things. But I'm glad. See, I still remember it. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. 
But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. These petty little things that irritate us and that make our pride swell. And the Lord is so good with his language. Because if you were just to reach out and smack me on the cheek, you know, there is a reaction. There's a reaction on the inside. There's a reaction on the outside. But the Lord knows it's no bodily harm has been done. It is, it is pride. And he says, give him the other one. There is no reason to ever retaliate for something so minor. This is his religion. The Pharisees had said, they slapped me, I have a right to slap them back. They said something to me that was like a slap in my face, I have a right to say something to them that's like a slap in their face. Or, I have a right to say things about them behind their back that is like a slap in their face. That is how we think, that is how we operate, and Jesus said that has nothing to do with my religion. All those preachers are wrong. And you know what? We all have that preacher in our hearts. That's what verse 39 means. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. You don't fight back for those personal offenses that others cause against you. You turn another cheek. That's what the verse means. Verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. If there is some man that has got that's torqued about you and they want to sue you at the law and take something minor like a coat, you know, if you shop at Walmart, it's a $20 coat. If you shop somewhere else, it might be a $200 coat. But do you know what? If you can shop and buy a $200 coat, it still doesn't mean a hill of beans. If they want your coat, throw in gloves. Give them a scarf. It's not worth fighting over. The Lord Jesus Christ does, does want us to be pacifists when it comes to personal fighting. He does want us to be non-resisters and conscientious objectors when it comes to personal war between us. It's wonderful language. They want, give them your coat, give them your cloak, give them gloves. Give them a free plane ticket home. It will get them away from you. This is what the Lord's teaching. But the Pharisees were saying, somebody sues me at the law to take my coat. I'm going to sue them at the law and take their boat. Well, I couldn't do that. I just better take another coat or something equal to a coat because an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They had taken that civil principle. That civil principle still stands. The, the New Testament teaches us that civil government bears a sword and it doesn't bear a sword in vain. Right. It bears a sword because it's to punish perpetrators on the outside, other nations that violate our sovereignty, and it's to punish criminals on the inside that violate the rights of citizens. The sword is born by the ordinance of God, and it's intended to be born, and no nation should lay it down. And Christian nations can raise that sword and fight opponents on the outside and criminals on the inside. Right. Jesus was not undoing that at all. That was never undone in the New Testament. And when someone enters your house at night, and it's dark, and you believe that your children are in danger, or your life is in danger, there's one solution to help the crime problem in America. Let them meet Smith and Wesson, your two partners that are hiding in your nightstand. Go to the closet and, let, and find the two partners that are there. There is not a thing in the world wrong with that. That is self-protection. When you don't do that, and your family suffers because you're a pansy, because you misunderstood the Bible, then you have not provided for your own, and you are worse than an infidel, and you've denied the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope I never face any situation like that. If anyone hearing my voice 
thinks that I relish the thought of using Smith & Wesson on someone, you are totally wrong. I hope that I would never face anything like that. But I want to tell you what the Word of God teaches. Right. When Jesus said, but I say unto you, he was not undoing an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He was leaving it where it belonged in the hands of civil government or when our lives are being threatened and there's something serious at stake. But you know what? None of you have ever done anything like that to me. You've never broken into my house at night and tried to steal anything or threaten my life. You know what? It's little, it's little retarded things that I'm ashamed to even say. The little things that happen between people. You know, someone says something to me with a sarcastic edge. And really, I'm saying this for all of you because it doesn't really happen to me. Something is said to you with a sarcastic edge, and you have something that wells up inside and says, why are they talking to me that way? Don't they know I'm the most important person they've ever met? You know how we are. Why? So the Lord took care of all that. He said all these little small things, blow it off. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth doesn't have a single thing to do with it. Forgive and forget. Fully forgive and forget. Forbear, which means to put up with. Forbear, forgive and forget. Fully forbear, forgive and forget. I like those words. They're wonderful words. They're Bible words. Verse 40, if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. If some man comes and sues you for everything you've got, you get in court and hire the best attorneys you can to protect yourself. This isn't talking about anything like that. This is talking about the little things that are being done between men and happens all the time. It's going to happen today. It's going to happen today. Someone is going to hurt your feelings or offend you today. Forbear. Put up with it. Forgive. Let it go. Pass over it. Ignore it. Ignore it. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how he distinguished himself from Pharisees that knew the Bible. Oh, they could quote the Bible, couldn't they? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But they didn't know how to apply it. Verse 41, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. An example of this. In Israel were Roman soldiers. Israel was occupied by a foreign army, the Roman army. Roman soldiers didn't want to waste their energy carrying their own equipment when they had Jewish citizens. They could hail on you and say, listen, you Jew, carry my stuff for a mile. Now, please think about it with me. You're a Jew. You kind of like your nation. You're used to saying the pledge to the flag every day. You like your flag. You know you know that you're God's nation, and you know these Romans are pagans. You know that they've killed some of your relatives in battle. If a Roman soldier said to you to pick up his stuff and haul it a mile, what would you be thinking on the inside? I wonder if I can slip one of his knives out of this suitcase. You would think that that was the height of injustice for them to impose on you to carry their luggage like a little busboy. I'm trying to pretend I'm your soul. I would never think anything like this, but I'm, I'm trying to pretend that I'm you. He's... Michael knows better. I'm not going to be his busboy. This is what you're saying inside. You don't say it out loud because he's big. He's strong. He's got brass knuckles on and a sword. And he's got armor. Here's your choice. You know what the Lord said? Go to. Think, think about it. 
Pride. What's at stake when that Roman soldier says that? Pride. Nationalism. Inconvenience. Time and effort. You're making me look like a servant. You know what? A Christian should be able to do that easily. And Jesus said he should do it cheerfully and not only go one mile, go ahead and go two. You've got them farther away from your house. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do you know, do you know what would well up inside you? Especially if you were hot-headed? Praise the Lord for this is a great book. If men ever lived like this, the world would have peace. But the world will never live like this until we're in heaven. And we have the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will reign. Because we'll be glorified. And we're not going to live like this perfectly until we're glorified. But let's try to get there as close as we can before we're glorified. I know the feelings that well up inside you. I have them. And one in here has them. But Jesus says, blow them off. Blow them off. 39, 40, and 41 are three precious verses. Being smacked in the cheek hurts your pride more than anything else. They're suing you to take away your coat. You know what people will say about something like that? Well, it's a matter of principle. I know it's only a coat, but it's a matter of principle. I've explained for how you should interpret that word principle, haven't I? The first three letters give it away. P-R-I. It's pride. It isn't principle. It's pride. Give them your cloak also. And when they want you to go a mile, when somebody wants you to come over and cut their grass or serve them in some way or pick them up when they're, they, leave, they leave their car at the shop and they need someone to take them to work and it's an inconvenience to you and you know they're never going to do it for you and you think, why do I have to do it for them? Oh, don't think those thoughts, brethren. Go and take them and buy them breakfast on the way from the auto repair shop to their job. Buy them some Hardy's biscuits. It's nothing. It's nothing. Give to him thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. When some, someone comes and asks something from you, instead of going through a whole lot of machinations about whether they justify it, whether they've lived prudently or not, whether they deserve it or not, there's a place for that, but not in this passage. In this passage, the Lord is dealing with that reluctance because you're selfish and stingy. Give! And give generously and don't hope for even getting it back, is what Luke would say about it. How do we apply this? Here's how we apply it. Turn to Proverbs 19.11. 19.11. Here's how we apply it. So what do we do when someone hurts us? I love this verse on this subject. I've used it many times with you before. I hope that my, my much use of it will cause you to remember it. Proverbs 19 and verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Do you know what makes you glorious? It's when somebody hurts you, when somebody wrongs you. In this verse, it's called, when they transgress against you, you pass over it. You ignore it. You overlook it. You don't worry about it. You don't do a thing about it. 
you just forbear it. You means to put up with it. You forgive it and blow it off. You let it run off you like water off a duck's back, as some would say. This is Proverbs 19.11. The discretion. Discretion is wisdom. Discretion is righteousness. Discretion is knowing what to do and when to do it. And when offends you, discretion defers anger. It says, I'm not going to get angry right now. I'm now, do you know what happens when you tell yourself, I'm not going to get angry right now about something? You'll never get angry about it. it. When you defer something, that means to put it off. So the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. It puts anger off. He says, I'm not going to get angry right now about that. It's not worth getting angry over, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Transgression has occurred. He's been offended, and he just ignores it. That is a glorious man. That is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a true Christian. That is a righteous man. That is a wise man. That is the fulfillment of Proverbs, and it's the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 5. However, not everyone does that. There's a devilish spirit that wants to fight back. There's a devilish spirit that wants to bite back. He bit me. I'm going to bite him. That is a devilish spirit. We should not do that. We cannot allow that. It is not from heaven. The Bible tells us exactly where that spirit comes from. It comes from beneath because it comes from the devil. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And the Lord tells us that if we treat each other that way, we'll devour the whole church. We'll consume the whole church if we bite and devour each other. Those are the words used in Galatians chapter 5. Bite and devour. If people treat each other like that, they'll eventually ruin the relationship. So the first thing, it's going to happen to you today. This is a fact of life. This is a fact of life. With this many sinners in a room, we're going to do something to offend each other. But how you respond is the whole issue. The Lord didn't say you can keep it from happening. The Lord said, how are you going to respond? And he said, turn the other cheek. Here it says to pass over the transgression. Ignore it. Blow it off. It's not worth getting upset over. Defer your anger. Pass over the transgression. Wonderful verse. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. One sentence, definition of love, that is the purest, most glorious statement about love that the world has ever had. Elton John and Mariah Carey don't know anything about love. Listen, Elton John can't even figure out what sex he ought to go to bed with. They know nothing about love. This is love right here. One sentence, 15 phrases that are precious. This is how we ought to treat each other. This is what is emphasized in the Bible. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. This is often quoted at marriages and seldom practiced after the wedding. Charity suffereth long. Isn't that what Jesus said? Somebody smacks you on one cheek, you give them another one? True charity is love. Love suffereth long. That means it puts up with other people hurting you for a long time. Because love will bear the pain of someone else hurting them. This is true love. If love fights back, it isn't love. That is hate. That is strife. That is conflict. That is animosity. That is enmity. That is malignity. That is grudge. That is bitterness. It's not love. Charity suffereth long. You say, I don't, I don't like to take pain. So what? 
if you heard the prayer this morning by the young man before I came into the pulpit to preach to you, he reminded you of a parable. You don't like pain? Then why did you cause the Lord Jesus Christ so much pain? Somebody's hurting your little feelings? That isn't pain. That's a picnic in compared to what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. He has forgiven us untold crimes. Why is it so hard for us to forgive little tiny nothings? Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, isn't always selfish and interested in its own time or comfort. So it's willing to do things for others. Is not easily provoked. Does that sound like not getting provoked when you're smacked on one cheek and you turn the other? Real love is not easily provoked. It doesn't get upset quickly. It's not easily provoked. You really, you know, you really have to push that person a long, long way before they get upset at all. That's how, that's what we want said about us. But when somebody explodes and gets upset, where did that come from? Where did that violent rage come from? It didn't come from heaven. Not at all. It's not easily provoked. You may get eventually provoked, but not easily, if you love. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things. True love bears all things, even when somebody hurts your feelings. Believeth all things, even when the words they're telling you don't match up with what they live like. Hopeth all things, when their words really don't match up with what they're living like. Endureth all things. That means you bear for a long time what someone does. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. One sentence about love, and it repeatedly emphasizes the fact that we've just been taught in Matthew 5 that when someone hurts us, if we really love them, we're not going to retaliate. We're not going to revenge. We're not going to get provoked. We're going to pass over it. It's not going to bother us. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, to show you in writing what I just made reference to and what Jonathan Carnell prayed this morning, the last two verses of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What's the measure? What's the method of of us forgiving others? It's God forgiving us through Christ Jesus. He forgave us far more than you will ever forgive anyone in here and all everyone in here combined. It should be easy to forgive other people. All bitterness and wrath, all of it should be just flushed out. There should be bitterness toward no one in here. No one. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. You're not important enough for revenge. If you're important enough for revenge, the Lord's going to take care of it because he said, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. If there's really a wrong that's been done, God will take care of it. But see, among us, it's all little petty things. We ought to turn the other cheek. We ought to go another mile. We ought to give them a cloak along with the coat that they're seeking. Peter would say to the Lord, Now, Peter, anybody in here like Peter? 
Anyone in here like Peter? You know, Peter, Peter heard preaching like that and he said, wait a minute. How many times do I have to do this? Lord, I'm going to show you what a magnificent Christian I am. Is the limit seven? I know it's the perfect number by reading the Bible. I know that seven is one of your perfect numbers. Is it seven times that I'm supposed to forgive my brother that sins against me? Here's Peter. See, Peter's got this self-protection over here that's telling him there's got to be a limit. I mean, if I don't put a limit on it, then I'm going to, get, I'm going to be turned into a doormat. I love those words. They're from hell. If I don't stand up for myself, I'm going to be turned into a doormat. I'm thankful that one man I know, and only one, was willing to be a doormat for me. Amen. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked if it were possible for there to be another way chosen for him to pay for my sins other than being a doormat for me. Because he already saw that he was going to be chained in a Roman judgment hall, and they were going to smash him in the face after blindfolding him and dare him to tell him, tell them who had just smashed him in the face. I think that's being a doormat. And he became a doormat for me. Why would I ever say foolish words like that? I'm not going to be a doormat. Let the Lord protect you. The Bible man would say, my record is on high. God will deliver me. No bitterness. Peter said, Lord, if I was to forgive someone all the time and overlook their offenses against me, they're just going to keep on doing it. If they keep on doing it, then I'm just going to be a doormat and I'm going to suffer a lot of pain. How many times should I forgive them? It's got to be seven. This is Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Surely there's a limit, and I'll bet it's seven. Did I win the question and answer? Jesus said, Peter, seven isn't it. It's 70 times seven. Oh, 490. You know what? By the time you get to 490, you'll believe you've lost count, and you'll just keep right on doing it. And that's what the Lord intended by those words. You know, I had someone write me this, this week or last week. I need Matthew, the webmaster here, to nod yes or no. It was this week or last week. They actually wrote me and said, what do I get to do after 490? I wrote them back, and I said, not a good attitude, not a good question. Because Jesus wasn't saying, wait till 491 and then hit them. He was trying to tell Peter that you have no concept of real forgiveness. And he was just blowing it way out there in the distance to where you couldn't keep track of it. We're just to keep on forgiving. Because we're just going to keep on offending. So are you all with me? I hope you'll at least keep on forgiving me. And I'll try to forgive you. Remember 1 Corinthians 6 from a few weeks ago? 1 Corinthians 6, what did it tell us to do when you're being defrauded by a brother in a small matter? It tells us, it's small matters, like a coat. You're being sued for a coat. It tells us that it's small matters. What should you do as a Christian? Look at what it says in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. Here's Paul looking at a church of the New Testament and saying, there is a fault in this church. This church is wrong. And I want to tell them where they're wrong. There is a fault among you because ye go to law one with another. These church members were taking each other to small claims court. Paul asked these rhetorical questions. He said, why do ye not rather take wrong? 
Please read and think with me. It is wrong. What someone has done to you is wrong. I'll admit it. God will admit it. But you know what? It doesn't matter that what someone has done to you is wrong. What we did to Jesus was wrong. It didn't matter. He paid for it anyway. Look at what it says. Why do you not rather take wrong? Just go ahead and take it, even though it's wrong, even though that other person is wrong. Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Why don't you just let yourselves be taken advantage of for something as small as a cheek, a coat, or a mile? Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're supposed to do. We're to pass over it. And it's a glorious thing. When, when a man can do it, he's a glorious man. When a family can do it, they're a glorious family. When a church can do it, they're a glorious church. They just overlook all the little petty things that split so many churches and create cliques in so many churches and have bitterness and grudges in so many churches. That's what we're supposed to do first. Now, if you have a very small soul, I mean, it's kind of, it's like a raisin instead of a grape. It's not a glorious soul that's more like a grape. You've got one that's kind of shriveled up. And you've got to do something about it. There is a very specific process given in the Word of God on how to take care of problems. And it, you are told it in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. And I'm almost done. Matthew 18, 15. I have to tell you how we take care of differences to please the Lord. Now, he told us the easiest way is just to overlook it. Boy, that's fast. That's a quick court settlement. You don't take them to court. You don't even tell them about it. You just blow it off. You forget about it. That's a glorious person. Matthew 18, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. There's the next step. If someone trespasses against you and you can't ignore it, it was just too hard. It's too hard of a smack. The coat was too expensive and it's one your mother gave you. You know, the mile was, you were on crutches and they still wanted you to go the mile. It was too hard for you to overlook. Jesus said if it's too hard to overlook, then go and tell the man that did the offense between thee and him alone. Is that pretty plain language? Do you know what we do by nature? We go and tell others. We start with our spouse. We go to the pastor. We go to others and yak, 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 into somebody's ear about someone else. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they did to me? What are you talking about? What are you talking about, you fool? Shut your mouth! The Lord Jesus Christ said, go and tell thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. No one else should ever know about it. If someone else knows about it, then you're a backbiter, you're a tailbearer, you're a whisperer, and probably a slanderer. Don't do it that way. The, Lord, the Lord's going to help you. The Lord's going to help your shriveled up soul. If you have to go to the brother and take, care, and take care of it with him, if that brother won't hear you, then look at the judgment process that we have here. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. The smallest things can eventually put a person out of this church if they will not submit to the judgment of the church. 
So step number one, when somebody offends you and you have the feelings of retaliation welling up inside you, you should blow it off and forget about it, just like the Lord's forgiven us. The second thing is there's a route to take. There's a, there's a way to do it. And that is to go and deal with him alone and not tell anyone else about it. And if he won't hear you, and I believe most everyone in here will hear you, then you bring it, you get some witnesses. And there's a process. The Bible is quite plain on how differences between people can be resolved. The Bible's a wonderful, glorious book. Proverbs chapter 25 tells us the same thing. Never disclose a secret to a neighbor. Never disclose. If you have a, if you have a conflict with a neighbor, never go and tell anyone else about it. The Lord cannot stand that kind of stuff. If you want the Lord's blessing in your life, if you want to please Him, blow stuff off and be glorious, or keep it to yourself and go deal with Him and Him alone about the matter. That's the lesson. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. By nature, that's how we think. We like that little law of God. They did it to me, I'm going to do it to them. Jesus said, I have a totally different religion than that. If someone smacks you on the cheek, give them the other. It's too small of an offense to even worry about. Forget it. If somebody wants your coat, a few dollars of your estate, give them a cloak to match it. If someone bothers you and presumes on you to go with them a mile, go another. If someone comes and asks you for help, and you could probably sit down and point at a few things about their lives where they weren't as frugal as they should have been, and you could go through all those mental gymnastics, I don't want to hear about them. Give them what they need, and don't even look for it back. That's the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great day of judgment is coming. We're going to die and meet the Lord, or the Lord's going to come for us. When we stand before the Lord, we will give an account of how we responded to other people offending us. Earlier in this chapter, we had thou shalt not kill. That's us offending others. Here we have others offending us. How do we respond? We will give an account for how we respond. Every wicked thought, every retaliatory word or action, Every bit of a lack of forgiveness that we have toward others will be remembered in that day. And I'll tell you something that you want in that day. You want the Lord's forgiveness in that day. And if you have not forgiven when you've been in this world, when they were little small offenses against you, how in the world are you going to reason that God should forgive you for the great offenses you've committed against him? May the Lord bless us to be merciful, forgiving, long-suffering, tender-hearted, forbearing one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.